There isn't a day that goes by that uh, we're not reminded of a very serious problem in our society. We read and hear of crime and violence and all the other social ills, but the uh, problem that has catapulted to the front of the pack is uh, the problem that we're going to discuss in this session, and that is the problem of sexually transmitted disease. And uh, in light of what we've been discussing the last, um, last few weeks, it certainly is a topic that goes hand in hand. It's a major health concern, and uh, consequently, it's an economic issue that's risen to epidemic proportions. And uh, like it or not, it's a problem that uh, will impact all of us. So I think it's time that we be as informed as is humanly possible. At the risk of sounding juvenile, which I know for me isn't much of a risk at all, <laughs> and uh, it's extremely important to understand what we're referring to when we talk of sexually transmitted diseases. Basically, in a nutshell, what we're referring to are diseases, the disease or diseases, and we'll review the various types in a moment, in which one person that is afflicted passes on to another person through intimate sexual contact. And I think it's important that we understand how these things are contracted because there, there, are, so, there are so many false ideas in our society. We try to do everything we can to explain away the consequences of behavior without ever getting back to the behavior. And I saw this cartoon recently. I thought you'd appreciate it. But uh, basically, it's a picture of uh, Surgeon General Jocelyn Elders in the, in the front of a schoolroom. And she's standing at a chalkboard. And on the chalkboard, she lists six causes of AIDS. She has, number one, the first cause is lack of government funds. The second cause, of course, is homophobia. Third, we've got to blame Ronald Reagan for something else. So he's the cause. Ignorance is the fourth cause. Lack of condoms is the fifth cause. And, of course, all those moralists out there are the sixth cause. And even the kids sitting in the classroom are looking at one another, and the one boy speaks out, and he says, Gee, and I thought it had something to do with sex or drugs. Uh, and that's really what the issue boils down to. We need to define our terms so that we understand exactly what the root cause of the problems that we face in our society. And we try in every way we can to avoid defining the cause. A common-sense approach to AIDS recently has gone down in flames. Despite strong lobbying by Capital Resource, the Senate committee has defeated Senate Bill 1432, which would add HIV to the state list of sexually transmitted diseases. Despite 89% of state AIDS cases resulting from sexual transmission, the committee Democrats refused to treat HIV infection at least as seriously as other sexually transmitted diseases. No, we can't. Why? Because it's politically incorrect, and basically the bottom line is it becomes, is it a health issue or is it a civil rights issue? 89% of AIDS cases are a result of sexual transmission, and yet our state of California refuses to recognize that AIDS is a sexually transmitted disease. How in the world do we, do we come with conclusions like that? And it's real important to understand as we go through what we're discussing. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of briefly go over what some of these sexually transmitted diseases are. And uh, we'll go through them one at a time. But the, number one, the first one, is one that obviously that most of us are aware of. And interesting, interestingly enough to me, you know, the whole, the whole AIDS epidemic that we find ourselves surrounded by is one of the most recognized sexually transmitted diseases. And yet 15 years ago, 
no one had ever heard of it. Fifteen years ago, as little as 15 years ago, no one had ever heard of AIDS in our country. At least the majority of us didn't. And without question, this virus has leaped to the forefront of all the known sexually transmitted diseases. And uh, listen to, uh, and, and for good reason, David Baltimore, who is a microbiologist and a Nobel laureate, has given this warning. He says, It will probably be the most important public health problem of this decade and going into the next century, for it threatens to undermine entire nations. The Center for Disease Control in Atlanta reported in 1989 that there, one, there were 100,000 cases of AIDS that resulted in 60,000 deaths. Two years later, in 1991, there were 271,000 cases of AIDS resulting in 130,000 deaths with at least 1.5 million Americans infected or were HIV positive. 1992, the estimates were 350,000 cases of AIDS with as many as 2 to 4 million Americans now HIV positive. Two to four million, and why is there such a, a, a gap there? Well, it's real simple, because most people that are infected don't even know that they carry the virus. And most who are infected don't believe they carry the virus because they don't think that they've participated in what, what has been known as high-risk behavior, whatever that definition is. Most have never had the AIDS uh, antibody test, so they don't know if they carry the virus and if they do carry the virus, they continue to infect others because they don't know they have it, or if they do have it, they don't care that they have it. Two to four million. And at the present rate of reported AIDS cases in 20 years, over 11 million Americans will have AIDS. 52 million cases of AIDS-related diseases. And worldwide estimates, which are frightening our 8 billion people, are expected to carry the virus by the end of the century if the rate of progression continues to go the way that it's going. So what is it? It's a major problem is what it is. And I want to take a minute to define or at least unravel the mystery by sharing this following information. It comes from former Surgeon General Dr. C. Everett Koop, and this was his national report, and this is what he wrote about AIDS. He said, AIDS, which is the Acquired Immune Deficiency Syndrome, is a disease which impairs the body's immune system leaving a person unable to fight infections and diseases. AIDS is caused by a virus called HIV, which, the, which is the human immunodeficiency virus. When this virus enters the bloodstream, it attacks the body's immune system, weakening or destroying cells which are crucial to the system's normal fun- functioning. Not all persons, in, persons infected with HIV develop AIDS. Some show no obvious signs of sickness, although they are able to infect others with the virus. He says, some persons with HIV develop a condition called AIDS-related complex, or ARC. ARC patients exhibit symptoms less severe than those associated with AIDS itself. A certain percentage of infected persons, 25% to 50%, will develop AIDS within five years of being infected. He says, since not everyone with HIV shows readily discernible signs of illness, the AIDS antibody test is essential for correct diagnosis of HIV infection. This test detects antibodies to the HIV virus, which the body produces in a vain attempt to attack the virus itself. The test, by identifying the AIDS antibody in the bloodstream, tells if someone has been infected with HIV. Those who test positive do not necessarily have AIDS. They may may remain well or develop ARC or eventually AIDS. 
He writes this concerning the future of the United States. AIDS is a life-threatening disease and a major public health issue. Its impact on our society is and will continue to be devastating. By the end of 1991, an estimated 270,000 of cases of AIDS have occurred, 179,000 deaths within the, the decade since the disease was first recognized. In the year 1991, an estimated 145,000 patients with AIDS will need health and supportive services at a total cost of between 8 and $16 billion. You say it doesn't impact you? Oh, yeah, it does. It's interesting. I just saw an article on April 8th in the Orange County Register, a study that came out said HIV may trigger cancer. There's a study that came out. In November of last year, the U.S. Census Bureau figures revealed that 3.2 million American children now live with their grandparents, which is a 40% increase from just a decade ago. Many of these children are from divorced parents, but there's another ominous factor at play. In an article in Time magazine entitled, When AIDS Strikes Parents, they described the problem. At least 30,000 children in the United States have lost one or both parents to the AIDS scourge. And over the next seven years, that number is expected to at least triple. In Chicago, they said, we're seeing some 3,000 children in the Chicago area who will need placement very soon. I expect the numbers will grow way beyond what anyone could ever imagine. Dr. Koop ends his report with this good news. He says, AIDS, however, is preventable. And it can be controlled by changes in personal behavior. Interesting. So as you can see, AIDS is a major problem, not only in our country, but for the entire world. And it's also the most serious plague that's ever hit human history. Just an interesting historical note, the Black Plague in the Middle Ages resulted in one million deaths. The Nazi Holocaust resulted in six million Jews who were, whose lives were lost. The famine in Africa has taken 10 million lives. But at the present rate, it's estimated that 100 million people will be HIV positive by the year 2000. And you know what? If that's not bad enough, there are, in addition to AIDS, another 13 million cases of sexually transmitted diseases spread every year, according to a recent survey that was published in March of 1994 that was uh, published by um, the Associated Press. And there are things like the old standbys, gonorrhea, which has become leaner and meaner and widely resistant to penicillin. It creates pelvic, pelvic infection in women, both low-grade and red-hot, causing damage ranging from scarred tubes to complete destruction of the reproductive organs. There's syphilis, which is at, a, at this point in time in America, it has reached a 40-year high. It is at epidemic stages. Untreated, it can lead to serious damage of the brain or heart, among other things, even death. What's fascinating is if you look into some of this stuff, the word syphilis comes from a Latin word that was derived, derived from the word shepherd. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out where medical science believes that the syphilis disease originated. And I wonder why God prohibits bestiality. But you stop and think about it, that's exactly the origin of it. Syphilis. Genital herpes. 25% of sexually active adults have been infected by genital, genital herpes. Its blisters may be a mild nuisance or a major disruption, and they come and go and come and go and come and go for years. 
two out of three newborns who pick up a herpes infection from their mothers at birth will die. And most of the rest will be seriously handicapped. There's the human papillomavirus, which may be the most commonly transmitted sexual disease in the United States. It causes soft venereal warts, but more importantly, they are associated with genital cancer in both sexes. Approximately 7,000 women in the United States die every year from genital cancers related to HPV. There's hepatitis B, there's chalmidia, which is estimated to infect 30 to 40% of sexually active young adults. And in women, it can quietly damage the fallopian tubes and thus prevent pregnancy altogether or cause a dangerous ectopic or misplaced pregnancy which requires emergency surgery to correct. What's fascinating to me is despite all of this information and all of these medical facts, there's alarming evidence that this information does not significantly change sexual behavior. Isn't that amazing? And I'll tell you why in a moment. Because uh, here's, here's an article in uh, March of this year. Women in denial over sexual diseases. 84% of those questioned feel safe, though many are unaware of the risks. I want you to listen to this because it sets up what we're going to discuss. About 84% of women interviewed said, it will not happen to me. Even if they're at high risk, said a survey released Monday by women's health advocates who urged the government to educate people about sexually transmitted diseases, just as it has been doing about acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Women get sexual diseases more easily than men, experience more severe complications, and often go undiagnosed until permanent damage is done. As a result, more than one million get pelvic inflammatory disease, become infertile, or develop life-threatening ectopic pregnancies, according to Allen Guttenmacher Institute. 72% of women under 25, 78% of women who have had many sexual partners, and 85% of women whose partners who have had many previous sexual relationships, the groups most at risk, don't fear contracting a sexually transmitted disease. Women say they know a lot about AIDS, but little or nothing about syphilis, gonorrhea, chalmidia, herpes, and other diseases that can be prevented. San Francisco report just came out recently that despite all of the warnings as far as high-risk behavior, homosexual men aged 17 to 25 are ignoring the dangers of HIV infection and engaging repeatedly in high-risk behavior. So-called gay bathhouses are again being frequented in San Francisco whereas they were closed after the AIDS epidemic came to light. Consequently, the incidence of HIV-positive cases among young homosexuals is again soaring. Does anybody find it fascinating that despite all of the evidence, that it doesn't change human behavior? Not significantly, anyway. Now, there may be a handful of people who say, man, that's enough information for me that I'm going to change what I'm doing. But the majority of people who are engaging in behavior that is detrimental to their own life and their own health, continue to do so despite all the warnings. Why? Because it can't happen to me. Really? Then who's it happening to? Well, the intent of this session is, is to go beyond all these medical facts and scientific information. And basically what I'd like to do is concentrate on what the Bible says about sexual sin and disease because there certainly is a lot of confusion that goes on in our culture today as to what the Bible really has to say about this subject. And so in two weeks, 
not next week because we're going to do a Mother's Day special next week. We're going to talk about the problem of sexual harassment. I couldn't think of anything better to discuss on Mother's Day. What? Right, ladies? All right. And I'm leaving my, yeah, and as a gift to all you mothers, I'm leaving my annual mother-in-law joke in, in, in the, the closet somewhere. And I won't, thank you very much. Thank you. And I'll, I'm not going to share it next week, but I will share it in two weeks. So, anyway, no, maybe not. Anyway, but in two weeks, we're going to deal with all these safer sex arguments and uh, the condom issue and all the things that relate to sexual morality. But for now, uh, let's see what the Bible has to say about sexual sin and disease by asking and answering five commonly asked questions. Uh, And I hope that by asking the questions, it'll give you the answers that you need as you discuss it with your own family and friends and people around you as we discuss, you know, as we go out with our contacts and discuss with people who this is a critical issue that needs to be understood quite clearly because it does impact every one of us. But number one, is sexual behavior outside of heterosexual marriage a sin according to the Bible? That's a question that has to be asked, question number one. And I want you to consider Hebrews 13, verse 4. The Bible says that marriage should be honored by all and that the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Look, folks, there's no way you can get around this. The Bible clearly teaches that all sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is a sin, that it violates God's moral laws and his moral absolute standards. There's no way you can get around that. Marriage is pure, it's honorable, and it is to be honored by all. Those who are married, those who are outside of marriage, those who are married, those who are single, all of us in the human race should honor marriage. And the marriage bed, speaking specifically of the sex act, should be kept pure. You follow that? For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. I want to make a point here that's fascinating to me. Within marriage, we will find God's blessing and God's protection. Now understand this for a second because if and when you marry a person, heterosexual marriage, one husband, one one wife, when you get married and you have not had sex with any other human being, you had not had sex at all with another person. God says when you get married, God will not only bless that relationship, but he will protect you from everything that we're discussing this morning. There's no other way that you can explain this. Because two people, if they had not had prior sexual relationships with anybody else and bring that baggage with them into their marriage... Two people who are virgins, that are chaste, that have never had sex, that get married and remain married and remain faithful, are not in any type of risk group for any sexually transmitted disease. Now, they may not be doing anything different than the people in the house next door or the apartment next door or the motel room three doors down. They may not be doing anything different from a sexual act than somebody two doors down that is at a high risk, And they may be doing the same act, and they're at no risk. 
There is no way you can explain that from a human perspective other than the fact that it is God's protection because God honors marriage and those who honor his principles. There's no other way. Because God says, I will judge the adulterer or those who have sex that are married and have sex with someone else or the sexually immoral, which are everybody else that falls into the category of having sexual relationships outside of heterosexual marriage. This might seem obvious to believers, yet every day the Christian community is faced with pressure to concede this point. And this is the very basic point. It's point number one. There is no doubt that homosexuality and adultery, bestiality, incest, rape, premarital sex, along with a long list of sexual sins that are mentioned in Leviticus 18 and 20 is a sin, despite all the seemingly reasonable arguments to the contrary. Last week I mentioned the so-called sin-right argument of homosexuality, which the latest thing is... Uh, a life partner. The latest argument in the homosexual community is a monogamous homosexual relationship. Trying to figure out some way to do this right and not put themselves in a risk category. And there's just no way you can do it because it's not ordained of God. Or, this is a good one, here's an article that just about got my hair standing on end. Here's Rabbi Michael Goitlieb. May I read this? The Vista School Board in northern San Diego County has adopted a new curriculum on sexual values called Sex Respect, which teaches abstinence and restricts information about birth control, masturbation, um, abortion, and sexually transmitted disease. It will be implemented this summer in grade 7, and and the board will vote April 21st on whether to extend it through grade 11. To their credit, those who advocate these proposed sex education curriculum believe that human sexuality is a serious issue for educators. The problem is, sex respect does not address this, the many consequences and responsibilities come with an active sex life, and so leaves our youth woefully uninformed. The, new, the theme of the new curriculum is that men and women should remain chaste before they marry, that sexual relations in any other context are immoral. As a rabbi and teacher who has worked with countless young people, I feel qualified to offer a different view. Premarital sex between consenting individuals is not immoral. Premarital sex is unholy. The difference between the two is significant. I don't want people who engage in premarital sex to think that they are committing a grave sin. For the Hebrew Bible is virtually silent on this issue, but it certainly does not label premarital sex as a sin. You will not find explicit reference to relations between unmarried individuals who engage in sex among the prohibitions of the Bible. What? (laughs) What in the world? See, you see how dangerous this is? Our society is totally ignorant of God, and those who profess to know God are just as ignorant of the God they say they know. This is amazing to me. What in the world? I mean, what? I I just, I just, I, uh, Contrary to this rabbi's opinion, I believe both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament are very explicit as to what God constitutes as sexual sin. And God's position on the sanctity of marriage and sexual relationship is clearly taught throughout the whole Bible, and we'll take a look at some of that. Number two, does God punish sinful behavior with disease and death? Well, for those of you who were with us when we examined the problem Uh, or the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, the answer should be obvious, but for those of you who weren't, I want you to consider some things. 
In Leviticus 26, 14 through 16, God says, But if any of you will not listen to me and carry out all of these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring, you, I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. You know what? There's an interesting question that came out. This is a little side note, but there's an interesting debate that came out when we had our last big earthquake here in Southern California. And the question was asked as, do you feel that God would do something like that? Well, my first answer is, do you feel like God didn't know it happened? Because if he knew it happened, then obviously he had a choice of whether to allow it to happen, whether he caused it to happen. He didn't do anything to stop it from not happening. But I, only, I like the way this is put. If you continue to live in disobedience to me, I will bring upon you sudden terror. There ain't nothing more sudden than an earthquake. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of like, that's as sudden as it can get. And, and, I, and I like that only from the standpoint of, you know, we need to understand who God is. God will judge sin. Don't be deceived by any of that. And we don't want that kind of a God, so we try to make up a different kind of God. But the Bible clearly teaches that as we live in disobedience against the commandments of God, God will judge sin. And He will bring sudden terror into your life. And the interesting thing is that many times those who continue to live in disobedience to God are confronted suddenly with the consequences of their action, though God's been trying to get their attention for many, many years prior to that. But it seems to them that it's sudden terror. But it really isn't. If they look in hindsight and see how God tried to get their attention, it wasn't sudden at all, although the results are sudden. He says, wasting diseases. Well, that's fascinating. If that's not a picture of syphilis and AIDS and gonorrhea and every other kind of sexually transmitted disease, I don't know what is. And I will destroy your sight. One of the consequences of syphilis is blindness and brain damage. And I will drain away your life. Huh. Oh, but Chuck, you keep bringing up all these Old Testament things. Well, you'd think the rabbi would know something about that. But anyway, <laughs> Micah 6.13, because of their continued disobedience before God, God said, therefore I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. Now we jump to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 30 and 32, which I think is really interesting. And God is uh, judging those who took lightly and mocked communion. It says, that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Many of you are sick, many of you are weak, and many of you have checked out. Why? Because if we had judged ourselves, we would not come under God's judgment. I want you to stop and think about what C. Everett Coop said. If we would judge ourselves for our behavior, then we would not fall under the judgment of God. All he did was say something very simple. If you stop screwing around, then you will not be judged by God. It's your choice. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that the world, so that we will not be condemned with the world. Other passages include 1 John 5, 16, Revelation 16, 2, and 11. And, and interesting, this whole argument of caring and compassion, homosexuals are pressuring us not to believe that God will punish people with disease and death. I, thought it, I think it's really interesting. You thought to stop and think about this. Sexually transmitted diseases, when I was growing up, you know, which was the basic ones that we just talked about, gonorrhea, syphilis, and all those types of things, it really wasn't an issue of whether this was a judgment of God. 
It was a matter of take some antibiotics and it's, it'll go away. See, it wasn't a question of whether it was judged by God. It became a big issue of whether God was involved in judgment when people started to die from AIDS. See, that's when it really, it, it crossed that line and it became, would God really do this? It still was the same God, and it was still the same problem, it was still the same issues before people started to die from AIDS, when people were, were experiencing other sexually transmitted diseases and the consequences. None of that had changed, but all of a sudden we crossed this magical line where all of a sudden the homosexual community got involved, and with all of their, their money behind them and all of the things that we talked about in the last month, all of a sudden it became a major health issue, and we need to find some type of cure for it. Listen to this. The AIDS Project of Los Angeles produced a self-care manual in 1987. In section 8 of this manual, entitled A Spiritual Perspective, we gain some insight into the difficulties which the AIDS epidemic has presented to those who are concerned with moral and traditional values. On page 220 and 221 of the manual, this is what it states. Is AIDS a punishment or scourge from God? Some would say yes. Indeed, some members of the, quote, religious right, unquote, would probably even praise God for this tragic epidemic, which is claiming the lives of thousands of gay men and others. The idea that God is a puni- that AIDS is a punishment from God is based on three false assumptions. Number one, that homosexual acts are sinful. Number two, that God causes suffering. Number three, that God punishes sin with disease. These three false assumptions result from a particular way of looking at society, sexuality, and how God works in the world. These assumptions and the worldview they reflect are based on the fear called homophobia and on a tragic misunderstanding of the meaning of God. It is the responsibility of persons of faith to overcome this fear and misunderstanding, to witness to God's love and grace, and to know God's compassion and His faithfulness. It is the responsibility of persons of faith to believe the Word of God. That's what it is. It's the responsibility of persons of faith to believe the Word of God. The people in this section of the AIDS manual either have never studied the Bible or else have chosen to ignore the evidence which the Bible clearly itself teaches. The fact is that homosexuality according to the Bible, is a sin, that God does indeed cause suffering, and that God does indeed punish sin with disease. Revelation 16 is a fascinating look at the depravity of human, humankind. Because in that day, people will one day be fully aware that it is God who's directly responsible for causing plagues and disease. And that certain knowledge will do little, if anything, to change sinful actions in a rebellious heart. It's not too surprising that most people who who end up with a sexually transmitted disease hope for some medicinal relief or some type of medical cure because the last thing that they want to do is change their behavior. Gonorrhea is back. And why is it back? It's resistant to antibiotics. Why is it resistant to antibiotics? Because for years in our country, we have dealt with the symptom instead of the root problem. That's why it's back. God's not mocked by our ability to try to somehow or another take a pill and continue to do things that he says are wrong. 
even if we find a cure for AIDS, and even if we come up with some way to, to eliminate the suffering or eliminate the, the virus, the HIV virus, even if we do all that, do you think God is mocked by any of that? What God says is right is right and wrong is wrong, and that will never change for all of time because God is not like man. He doesn't change his mind. The word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, it's interesting. I saw a funeral not too long ago for a gentleman who had died of AIDS. And one by one, his friends went to the podium to eulogize him. His lover was there. All the rest of his friends were there. Most of them were HIV, HIV positive, and the majority of them had already become full-blown AIDS cases. They walked up to the front of the church one by one, and it was the most heartbreaking thing that I ever, I, I ever seen in my life. But one by one, they said goodbye to their friend, and one by one, they cried about the tragedy and the consequences in which they were going through. And each one of them were asked the question, why is this happening to me? Man, it was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Why is this happening to me? What have I done? Well, it has to do with your behavior. can't be that because what I'm doing is not wrong and because God wouldn't do this to me. My God, picture of my God, whatever that is, wouldn't do this to me. It can't be that. You're a homophobe. You don't care about us. You don't love us. Well, what could be more loving than tell a person the truth? A couple years ago, I was in the locker room with one of the guys on, uh, that was on the team, and uh, he got himself what, what we used to call just a good dose of the clap. And, um, and it wasn't human applause, by the way. Um, it, it was a sexually transmitted disease, and this guy was in pain. I mean, he was in pain. And it opened the door for just a wonderful conversation about the fact that maybe what he was doing, God's trying to get his attention. And, and this was his answer to this. It wasn't, man, I may, maybe, maybe I should wake up and change my behavior. His answer was he had met an older woman who was older. I'm sorry, older to him. Now let me get this right before I get in trouble. An older woman to him. He was probably 25, and she was in her mid-40s. And he had met her at a club, and, you know, one thing led to another. And his response to the problem that he was facing was, this is a quote, I wrote it down. You would have thought she would have taken better care of herself. Well, how can you argue with logic like that? You would have thought she would have taken better care of herself. It wasn't what he did that was wrong. It wasn't his behavior. It wasn't his actions. It wasn't God trying to get his attention. It was, man, just give me something to take so it'll go away. And I can live to play another day. That was, the, that was the attitude. Man. Well, does the Bible teach that sexual sin can result in physical disease? Well, Proverbs 5.11, which is in the Hebrew Bible, by the way, says, At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are destroyed or spent. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins that a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That's interesting. 
And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for the unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Romans 1, 26 and 27. I read an article on the Orange County Register, April 16th, AIDS Claims Skating's Curry, 44. The 1976 gold medalist was considered the sport's great innovator. John Curry, the Olympic and world champion whose artistry on ice revolutionized figure skating, died Friday of an AIDS-related illness. Curry, 44, died of a heart attack brought on by his AIDS condition. The English skater, who had won the gold medal at the 76 Innsbruck Games and the world championship title the same year, was diagnosed as having the HIV virus in 1987. He returned from New York in 1991 after being told he had contracted full-blown AIDS. In the last years of his life, he spoke openly about his disease and acknowledged that he was a homosexual. It's important to realize the point that I made was these things can happen. You notice that? I didn't say they will happen, and I didn't say it's guaranteed that they're going to happen. I said that they can happen. And it's important to understand why. Does God punish all sexual activity outside of marriage with disease? And the obvious answer is no. He doesn't. Because if that was the case, there would be many people here today that would be suffering the consequences of what you've done in the past. So not all sexual activity outside of marriage is going to automatically be punished by God. And it's important to understand this, and here's why. I talked to a guy who leaves his wife and he has sex with another woman. And you know what he says? Oh, it's the greatest experience. It's been the greatest experience of his life. God hasn't struck me down with lightning. It hasn't fallen off. I haven't caught anything. Nothing has happened to me bad. So this must not be wrong. You, you see how, how our logic works? If it doesn't hap bad happen to me right away, then it must not be wrong. No, it's wrong because God says it's wrong. It's not wrong because you experience consequences. It's not wrong because you get hit with lightning. It's not wrong because you end up with AIDS or you become HIV positive or you get syphilis or gonorrhea or chlamydia or herpes or anything else. It's not wrong because you get that stuff. That's a consequence of what you've done. What you've done is wrong. The behavior is wrong. The action is wrong. And it's so important that we understand in our, in our culture, in our society today, we've got this mentality that things are only wrong if something bad, bad happens as a result of doing it. That's not true. Nothing, quote, bad that you can ever see may ever happen to you. That you can see, but it doesn't make it right. See, it's God's call if a person gets AIDS or syphilis. Or gonorrhea. It's God's choice. He's sovereign. He can choose to do that. But he can also choose to cut you a break and show mercy and try to do everything he can to get your attention so that you ask him for forgiveness and you'll turn from what you're doing. That's God's choice. And since he's God, who are we to argue with what he chooses to do? But we need to understand who he is. Regardless of his choice, his choice is just. Because he is a just God. 
Ted Koppel on Nightline Television summed it all up when he said, we have actually convinced ourselves that slogans will save us. Shoot up, shoot up if you must, but use a clean needle. Enjoy sex whenever and with whomever you wish, but wear a condom. No, the answer is no, not because it isn't cool or smart or because you might end up in jail or dying in an AIDS ward. No, because it's wrong. He goes on in the same address to Duke University and said, you know what? God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And I like that. Amen. What else do you have to say? That's it. It summarizes it all in a nutshell. Number four, physical disease is not always the result of personal sin in the life of the person afflicted. Physical disease is not always the result of the personal sin of the life and the person that it's inflicted. It's important that we understand this. There are many people who are the victims of sins of others. Rape, incest, molestation, other non-sexual crimes. There are many people who become the victim of the sins of another person. And they shouldn't have any guilt or any shame because of that. We live in a sinful world and people do things that damage the lives of other people. But it doesn't mean they brought it on themselves. Twelve to 15,000 people acquired HIV through blood transfusions between 1978 and 1985 before blood screening for HIV was developed. Probably the most notable of all was Arthur Ashe. What did he do? He went, he had a heart attack, he went into a hospital, he had a blood transfusion and he became HIV positive and ended up with AIDS. Why? Because of the sins of others. Don't tell me that other people's sins don't impact all of us. You're dreaming, you're sleeping, your head's in the sand. Who do you think is going to pick up the tab for 8 to $16 billion a year to treat AIDS patients who are destined to die? Why? Because of their selfish choice. Sin affects all of man. No man is an island, said John Donne. And he's right. None of us are immune from one another. We're not isolated. We're all part of the human community. And we're all going to suffer as a result of sin in our society. We need to step up, be heard, because that's the truth. 3,000 babies become HIV-infected through infected mothers, either through the birth process or delivery or breastfeeding. I'm not even talking about the rest of sexually transmitted diseases that, that impact other innocent people. And even when God chooses to allow it or ordain physical affliction, it's his choice and his purpose. Look at John 9, 1 through 3. Hang with me. Five more minutes and we'll be done. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. What is the work of God? Jesus is the work of God. Jesus and what he came to do, was his work was displayed in the life of this blind man. How was it displayed? Jesus healed him of his blindness. And if you remember, John the Baptist was in prison. He said, hey, should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus sent his disciple back and said, tell John the Baptist this, that the lame can walk and the blind can see. The work of God is Jesus Christ. The redemptive work of God is Christ. And if somebody suffers from any type of ailment that God allows, he allows it for the purpose of bringing people to himself so that they can experience the work of God, which is the forgiveness and redemptive work of Christ on the cross. It's God's choice. It's his call. And that leads us to the fifth and the best news of all of it is that sexual sin and its results can be forgiven. It can be forgiven. You know, there are many prudish people who somehow or another believe because they've never failed in this area of their life that sexual sin is something that's just totally unforgivable to God. 
I've never done anything like that, and I can't see how anybody else can do anything like that, and they deserve whatever happens to them, and there's no compassion, there's no, there's no sensitivity, there, there's no caring for others, as if somehow or another the sins that you committed before God are sins that everybody can understand and appreciate, but sexual sin is not being forgiven by God. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. This is the good news. This is the greatest news of all. And it's important that, to note that the vast majority of sexually transmitted diseases could be eradicated, as Dr. Coop suggested, if men and women would simply change their sexual behavior. These diseases are acquired, transmitted. You see, there's choice involved. But what God says is this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, for neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old thing has passed away and all things become new. It's important to understand, and this is the message that we need to get out to the world, that God loves sinners, but God still hates sin. And regretfully, while a person may die from AIDS in their life as a consequence of their behavior, a person who has got a sexually transmitted disease that turns to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for cleansing, the Bible says while their body may rot away here on earth, they will still spend an eternity with the God and the Lord, their Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day, they will receive a new and a resurrected body. Don't you ever believe for a minute that any behavior that we could ever do here on earth is something that God cannot forgive and that Jesus did not die for. We need to understand that. We need to have compassion. We need to have concern. We need to care for people that are suffering from sexually transmitted diseases, but we need to confront them with the truth. In summary, let me wrap this all up. At the root of the problem of sexually transmitted disease is that we have rapidly become a nation that doesn't really want to know God. We don't really want to know who God is. We don't really want to know what he's like. We don't want to know how he thinks. We don't know how, he, how he's going to respond to our actions or what he has to say. Because if we did, all of these things and more are clearly revealed in the Bible. It's not a question of not understanding what God has to say. It's a matter of not believing nor accepting what he says. The Bible is clear, but it has become clearly unacceptable in our culture. And whether we accept it or not, it doesn't change the moral absolutes of God. The Ten Commandments clearly teach us that we are to worship and love God first, and that we should not have any false gods before Him. Yet we live in a culture today that wants to make God into our image and our likeness. We want a God who will endorse our behavior who will stand, give a stamp of approval and somehow or another eliminate all the consequences of wrong behavior that God clearly outlines in the Bible. That's the God our country wants, and I've got bad news for people who want that. We were created in the image and likeness of God, and God will never be created in the image and likeness of man. He will never change what he has to say about right behavior and wrong behavior. These moral, morals are absolutes. The only thing that we have a choice of whether to do is to continue to live in rebellion of God and suffer the just consequences 
or if we can just confess our sins before God and repent from our actions and turn to him for mercy and forgiveness. Those are the only two choices, and that's at the root issue of the whole problem of sexually transmitted diseases. Are we going to continue to rebel against God, or are we going to finally wake up and say, you know what, maybe it is our responsibility to believe what God has to say and change the way that we live. Those are the only two choices. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this opportunity to be together today. We just thank you for your word. We thank you that it clearly states your position on sexual morals, that it can clearly states your position of sexual activity.